You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. I owe you an apology because yesterday I said we do more financial arbitrage. But in fact, what we are going to do generally through the rest of the chapter is to get into questions of calling things by their proper name. And the seventh Mishnah begins by saying, talking about someone who redeems Maser Sheni. In other words, he hands over money or he substitutes money for Maser Sheni. But he doesn't say what he's doing. He redeems Maser Sheni, but he doesn't call it that by name. And Rabbi Yossi says, that's fine. It's okay. Rabbi Yudah says, no, Tsarich Lefaresh. He's got to call it out by name. And the Mishnah brings a parallel example from someone who is speaking to a woman about her divorce or her betrothal. Her divorce or her betrothal. He gives her her bill of divorce or her kiddushin. The law perish. He doesn't say "Hare at mukudeshet" or "Hare here's this is your get." He just give. He, they've been talking about it. But he just gives it to her. Rabbi Yossi Omer Dayo, exactly the same language. Rabbi Yossi says that's fine. Rabbi Yuda says "Sarich lefaresh." Rabbi Yuda says you've got to make it explicit. And interestingly, in all of these cases, the halacha goes according to Rabbi Yossi. And we find this, by the way, slight into, certainly in the case of Kiddushin, we all find this slightly shocking. In the case of Get, well, the Get is actually written on a document, so there's no doubt about it. But in the case of Kiddushin, we, we find this slightly shocking. And I wanted to show you the way that the Rambam expresses the Halakha in the Mishneh Torah, in Hilchot Ishut. It's uh, chapter 3, Halakha 8. And he paraphrases the Mishnah, but he adds one incredibly important word. So he's someone is talking to a woman about getting married. And she wanted to. That's the word he add. He adds. And she wants to get married. And he stands up and gives a kiddushin without saying explicitly he's a kiddushin. And then he goes on to uh, um, quote the rest of the Mishnah. And actually, he quotes Rabbi Yossi directly. You can see very elegantly, by the way, in this Rambam, how the Rambam quotes the Mishnah. He uses the words of Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi says, Dayo. Rabbi Yossi Omer Dayo in the Mishnah and um, the Mishnah Torah says Dayo ve'enor tzarich lefaresh. Um, Rabbi Yossi says Dayo. Uh, anyway, so you can see Rabbi uh, the, Mish- the, the Rambam is quoting the Mishnah, but he's adding the very important qualification ve'ratzta, and she wanted to. And it's interesting that one of the principles of Kiddushin is that both parties have to agree and have to be clear. And the Rambam upholds that principle in this halacha, even though he doesn't call for an explicit statement, If you don't mind, because time is short, I'm going to briefly skip Mishnah 8. We will come back to it, of course. I just want to look at Mishnah 9, because the Mishnah 9 follows this theme of calling things out.
And we're going to see more examples of this later in the chapter. If you any money found, this is money just found, you know, in the house or on the ground. You you know, you can find coins. Nowadays we mostly keep coins in bank accounts, but then people actually stored physical coins because they didn't have banks. So people are always finding things. They're all considered chulin. They're considered to be just ordinary coins. Even a Even if you find gold dinars with silver and with copper coins, you know, and this might look like someone has accumulated a set of coins of Maser Sheni. Even though a filu im im hamaot, it's chulin. But the Mishnah goes on to say, If he found among them a pot shirt, and people very often used to write on pot shirts in those days, by the way, because paper was not available. Other 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 ways of writing were not really available in those in, in those days. You could find a scrap of leather, I guess. Um, but pot shirts were incredibly common for making small notes. So the Mishnah goes on. Um, He's found a pot shirt. And written on the pot shirt is Maaser. This is Maaser. So in other words, sometimes the evidence makes us call something out. And then if we take the evidence. But in general, if you find something which is not called out, it's chulin. Quite unlike, slightly unlike the, the situation in our first, in the first mission we looked at, where you redeem Maser Sheni without calling it out. And that is a valid redemption. So what do we, what, do, what happened to Mishnah, what happened to Mishnah 8, which we skipped? Well, Mishnah 8 is an incomprehensible Mishnah. It's a classic, classic example of an incomprehensible Mishnah. And I just didn't want to get bogged down in it. That's why I left it till last. But let's just try and make a little bit of sense of it just in the few minutes that we have available to us. And this Mishnah, it, it, um, it doesn't continue the theme of calling things out, but it goes back to the questions of valuation which we've been looking at um, over the last few days. And remember, when we looked at valuation, we said that valuation depends on the locality and on the time. It's always current valuation and current time. So we always deal with, it's very modern in the sense that we deal with, you know, a, a modern trader would always mark his book to market at, at up-to-date prices. And the way we deal with Maser Sheni is always with dealing with up-to-date prices in the locality where the person is. And we're going to find this principle of using, this principle of using up-to-date prices and relevant to the market where the owner is sitting in this Mishnah. So someone has set aside an Isar of money as Maser Sheni. And he, he must be in Jerusalem, actually, because he's actually eaten half an Isar's worth of food. Okay. Or I presume he's in I presume he's in Jerusalem because he's he's now gonna move, but he's not he's he's now gonna move. He's going to go somewhere else. But fundion. A fundion is actually two um 
two Isars. Let's have a look. Here's a table of coins in the Mishnah, which we were looking at uh, about a week, couple of weeks ago. Gold dinar is eight grams of gold. We said that a seller was 17 grams of silver. An Isar is basically a 90. We, we mentioned that there are 96 Isars in a seller. And a, it's a very small coin in Isar. So this quantity of Maser Sheni that he set out is a very small quantity. And a Pundion is two Isars, 48 to a seller. Okay, a Pundion is two Isars. Let's just try and keep that in mind as we go back to the Mishnah. So he set aside this Isar. He's eaten half that quantity of food. And then he's gone to somewhere else where an Isar was worth two, was worth a Pondion. In other words, the, East, the market value of the Isar seems to have doubled wherever he's going. Maybe there's a squeeze on small change. So what can he do? What can he do? Ochel alav od isar. He used to have half an isar of food left to eat. Now he's got a whole isar of food left to eat because the isar has just doubled in value. And it works the other way too. Someone who sets aside a pundion, hamaniach pundion, someone sets aside a pundion, that's two isars. And on its account, he, he ate half. He ate half the Master Sheni and then went to another place where the Pundian's depreciating. So we thought he had an, a holy Isar left to eat. But now the Mishnah says, He only eats another half. Because what's left over is only worth half an Isar anymore. And then the Mishnah so that, that's the principle. That's the principle. We always go according to market value wherever we are. But this is the incomprehensible bit of the Mishnah. Someone who sets aside an Isar should eat on its account 11 parts of the value. And one hundredth, or and one in a hundred of an Isar. And Beit Shammai saw in both cases one-tenth part. Nobody really knows what this means. The Rambam says that if you have put aside this money, it becomes whole when you've eaten up to, actually the Rambam says, when you've eaten 10 out of 11 parts. Beit Shammai says in order to nullify this money you have to in both cases eat a tenth part which i think is probably nine tenths you have to eat so there's only a tenth part left bait hillel says an eleventh part um or in the cases of my tenth part so maybe nine out of ten or ten out of eleven but the core opinion in the mishnah the tanakama the first opinion in the mishnah seems to offer either ten out of eleven parts or maybe 99 out of 100. And you can see, by the way, this feels like all of the, all of the debates we had about the level at which truma disappears. Remember, we found that if you threw one part of truma into a, a, a silo with 100 parts of um, grain, you could effectively disappear it, you know, in the majority. You could just take one part out again and you could avoid the whole of the silo becoming truma.
So it seems like we're in this sort of debate, but and, and that's the way the Rambam interprets it. But there are many other interpretations too, and um, none of them are really satisfactory. So with that, I will close. And tomorrow we will get into more issues of naming things. The main issue in the end of this Mishnah is naming things and what, how you name them and how explicit you need to be or can be. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. <laughs>